0: Hey guys, this is Ben. This is my first interview episode and I hope you enjoy it. But in addition, it's also my first episode that I'm releasing on YouTube. So if you'd prefer to watch rather than listen to this episode, you can go ahead to the first link in the show notes and watch this episode on YouTube. Even if you don't want to watch, I would really appreciate it if you click on that link and go hit subscribe and follow me on YouTube. It really helps the channel get in front of more people. Anyways, thanks and here's the episode. Here on How to Take Over the World, I share the stories of the greatest men and women throughout history in order to learn from them, their strategies, tactics, habits, mindsets, and so on. And today we're deviating from that just a little bit, and we're talking about Mr. Beast, the world's most popular YouTuber. And why talk about him, he's only 25 years old, and it's true, he hasn't accomplished nearly as much as a Caesar or a Thomas Edison or even a Walt Disney, who's maybe a little bit more of a direct comparison. And one of the reasons I want to take a look at his life is that if you do look at Walt Disney, Mr. Beast is ahead of where he was at, at the same age. When Walt Disney was 25 years old, he'd already had some success. He was about to create his first major successful cartoon, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and he was still a few years away from creating Mickey Mouse. By contrast, Jimmy Donaldson, aka Mr. Beast, at age 25, is already the most followed person on YouTube. At the time of this recording, he has more than 215 million followers. He has a business and media empire that is valued at billions of dollars, and his trajectory just continues to go up and up. And I'm not saying that Jimmy is going to be more successful than Walt Disney or leave behind a bigger legacy. I am just saying that right now, looking at the numbers, he is ahead of where Walt Disney was. And so maybe, just maybe, there is a chance to observe one of the greats as he's still rising. And the lessons that you can learn from someone as they are accomplishing their great work are more valuable than what you can glean from biographies written years after the fact. So I love reading about how people took over the world in the past, in history, But this is a rare chance to see how someone is taking over the world as it is happening. Mr. Beast actually agreed to sit down with me. The last half of this episode is an interview with him, and there's so much to learn from what he had to say. The hypothesis of this show is that you can copy the greats. You can do what they did and accomplish things like what they did. And what you'll see in this episode is that the Mr. Beast formula can be copied. He's very open about it. He's very generous with his knowledge, very willing to lay it all out there and show you how you can do what he has done. So let's get into it. Let's study the life of Mr. Beast. Welcome to How to Take Over the World.
1: I'm gonna show you
0: how great I am. This was tiny fella. I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. So Jimmy, first thing I wanna ask you about, is last time I was here, like a year ago, uh-huh. we played Settlers of Catan. Oh, do you remember this? Well, yes, we did. We played with this guy, Syed, who owns like half of WordPress, all the plugins, yeah, and Wait. a
1: lot of gas stations, and a lot of <laughs> owns a lot of <laughs> gas
0: stations, and we played with Nick Huber, who also like a mogul owns a bunch of real estate and stuff like that. Yeah, and you just rolled us. You yeah. rolled us, uh, and you and you told us you were like, yeah, I kind of played you guys. Like I do this. You yeah. said that at some point you wanted to be a professional seller's example player. <laughs>
1: well, not professional in the sense of making money, but professional in the sense of being able to beat anyone in the world. Yes.
0: So, so tell me about, like, because I know that you get obsessive about things, right? Yeah. People talk a lot about, you were obsessed about baseball when you were like, when was like the Catan phase of your life?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny if we did this a year ago, it would have been Catan. Now the new board game is Dune. And what's actually double funny is we also just started talking with the mics on. Um, I'm hosting a Dune tournament where I'm flying all the best players in the world, literally two days from now. Is that right? Yeah. It's a $20,000 prize. And it's like the French champion, the the last three world champions, like the top 10 on the Ela leaderboard. Are you going to compete? Uh, yeah, of course. Nice. So I'm flying them all down and we're like, literally, I'm hosting a tournament two days from now. Um, and it's kind of funny because, yeah, the basically, the problem with Catan, though, is there is like a lot of RNG at the end of the day. It is just dice roll, and You know, a typical dice curve should go up and then down. But sometimes you just have games where it goes up, drops, up, drops. Right. And so I tried to find, uh, it's so f- funny. People would not expect this to be about board games, but I tried to find <laughs> a board game that was a little less RNG. But then the problem is like chess, it just gets to the point where it's purely skill. And then in my opinion, it's like, who's willing to give up the most of their life? Because like, I feel like I could be a phenomenal chess player if I spent 30 years studying. Right. And I don't want to spend 30 years. So that's where I came to the conclusion. It has to be a little bit of RNG, but preferably it's not super RNG. And so like I landed on this game, Dune, which is kind of a good combo where, yeah, and it's super nerdy, but that's why I'm really into it. And I feel like if you're good, you can still consistently win. Uh, but there is a little bit of an element where you know it mixes things up. And so, yeah. So, did this happen? Was this like early in your life that you got this like strategy game addiction the obsession? Yeah. Um, I don't know where it's come from. I actually just listened to Elon's biography by Walter Isaacson. Have yeah. you listened to it yet? Uh, not yet. Yeah. It's really good. And Elon was the same way. He just throughout his whole life has always loved strategy games. And I don't know. For me, it's like it's almost like a fast paced version of what I'm doing. Like building a company is fun, but it's very slow. Like, this right. is like, you know, we're on year 14 and I'm gonna be doing this for another 30 years. Whereas like in a strategy video game or a strategy board game, you get that like, adrenaline high, but in the span of an hour, not right, a decade, right, right. and it's fun, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, I'm curious, growing up, um, you know, you're the same person that you are today, and obviously like, you're very successful now, yeah. um, but you weren't good at school, right? Yeah. Did you like consider yourself a smart
1: kid? Oh, heck no. You no, did not. No, not even remotely close. I mean, it's funny because back then, yeah, I would have thought I was just an idiot. But in reality, you know, obviously, as we all know, the, to me, the subjects were just very boring and not interesting. And I mean, I couldn't pay attention to the life of me. But if it's something I'm very fascinated in, then, you know, it's easy for me to sink 14 hours straight. But in, you know, f- as bad as it is to say, like, you know, figure out where to put a comma in a sentence or a semicolon, like. I don't know. That stuff just put me to sleep. And uh, yeah, my grades were pretty terrible. And then my mom was very sad. And it was a pretty weird time because obviously I wasn't intelligent enough when I was younger to express like, yeah, this isn't like things that I enjoy. And like, even if I devoted my entire soul to it, I don't think I would have done well just because like, if you don't love what you do, then you're always just going to be mediocre at it, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Right. So there
0: was no element of like trying to prove to people that like, I actually am smart. Like no. That just didn't even. End. No,
1: it was. It was just kind of uh well actually this is kind of funny so today's like october 5th uh october 5th uh when i was like 16 or whatever I, or maybe even younger, 15, I made a bunch of videos and scheduled uploaded them for the future. So right. you're, you're talking, it's uh, about, you know, me back in those days. Now I was more thinking about what will the future be? And I was like, okay, who cares if I do bad in school? Like this has no impact. Like even back then I I would look at it and I'd be like, yeah, college helps you make a little bit of money, but where I want to be in life, a college degree doesn't really matter. And so it's funny when I was in school, I was making videos. Uh, I did this thing where I filmed a video and then uploaded it or set it where it would go public a year later and then filmed the video set it would go public five years later uh, this day and then I filmed a video and set it public 10 years later that was eight years ago on this day so it goes public two days two years from now I just know that because I, I just saw it and I tweeted about it and um, like those are more of the things going in my head like what will the future be how do I build towards that and school is never really a part of it, it which is kind of a waste of time to be yeah, honest yeah yeah so
0: by the way, are there any obsessions that people don't know about? So like strategy <laughs> games, I think a yeah. lot of people don't know that. Baseball, people have heard yeah. that in your biography and obviously YouTube like takes over pretty young.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else that you like got hooked on at
0: some point in your life?
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting is like the only thing that actually stayed for 15 years was YouTube. Everything else like comes in, comes out, but yeah, it's a lot of like when I was like 15, there's this online game where you like build bases and then you attack other people's bases and you build more. And like, I got so hooked on that. I mean, I had no money, but I found a way where you could like buy this $100 tabula- tablet and like emulate a phone on there. And so I had like 20 emulations of phones so I could have 20 different accounts. And I was probably playing like 10 hours a day. But uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy because I was basically one account at that high of a level at the game would take like all your brain power. And I was playing like 20 different ones. So I'd have like a kingdom and then all the kingdoms around it. And then my entire clan, which is like the at one point for a brief period, it's because it's very pay to win. So I couldn't do it forever because I didn't have money. I was like the number one clan in the world on this like Game of Thrones or Game of War type game. And it was just me and then all my alt accounts. And I was just like constantly throughout the day, just moving troops, everything. Even in school, I just like have to go use the bathroom and like make sure I wasn't attacked. So that was like the first crazy addiction for a strategy game but then yeah i mean it's probably been like 20 or 30 other ones it's like after a while you kind of get bored you move on to the next one does that like
0: ever cause problems for you cuz obviously like youtube is your main obsession now yeah. right and that's a very productive thing for you but do you
1: does like that stuff ever intrude into your life oh 100% life? and
0: really? that's
1: that's the beauty is i get that same high from youtube and youtube's a net positive right. if if it wasn't youtube i would be screwed like if the feel i got from youtube was just playing video games then you know, and I never found like work that gave me that same feeling, I wouldn't be where I am. How how do you manage those then? Like when that comes up? Yeah, that's one thing I found, which I do not recommend to anyone else, but I just like to give into my impulses and like, for whatever reason, work always pulls me back. And so like, if you know, when, when I f- literally, this is a perfect example. When I first played Canton with one of my friends, he introduced it to me. We played for 36 hours straight. Like, well I, well, I he didn't, but we played for like 10 hours and then he wanted to go to bed. So I got another three people to play with me, played overnight. <laughs> and I got those same people to come back in the morning at like 9 a.m. We played for like 10 hours. And then we I cycled through like 16 different people before I finally crashed. Like, And like, sure, I could have played for three hours, gone to bed a reasonable time, worked all day, then played at night. But... It's like, that doesn't, for whatever reason, that doesn't work for me. When I want to do something, I just want to do it. And like, if I want to play this game, I try to just get it all in my system and just burn myself out on it. And then when I wake up the next day, I'm like, okay, back to work. You know what I mean?
0: So when you got hooked on YouTube, was it immediate? Like as soon as you got into YouTube, you were like, oh, this is it. Or were you like a consumer for a while before you really realized like, oh, I'm obsessed
1: with this? I think it was the second I found out that you could do it for a living because I I wanted to take care of my mom because we didn't have much money is when I really got hooked. Like I, I made some videos before I knew you could make money. But once I was like, oh, this could be my future. I was all in. But the problem is it's like, it's a very long journey. So I was hooked, hooked, hooked. And then after like five years and getting nowhere, I was like, okay, Maybe I'm wasting my time. Maybe people are right. Maybe I should like actually try in school and get a real job. And like, you know, that kind of persistent, persistent. And then I went to community college for like two weeks because my mom was like, move out or go to college. And I didn't have enough money to move out. So I didn't really have a choice. And I was so depressed, like it's like borderline to the point of like, why am I even alive? This is so miserable. Why, like, what am I doing? I'm just sitting here. This person's literally reading out of a book to me. Like what, how is this like, My life, this is dumb. And so then that's obviously when I just like, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna make this happen or I'm just gonna live in a box. I don't know, my mom would kick me out, but I'm not I'm not doing, I will never work a normal job. That just sounds miserable.
0: What's that first video that you consider kind of like the inflection point of like, this is working, is it counting to 100,000? Yeah,
1: that's the one usually. Cause that, like we had some videos, or we me uh, had some videos do well back then, but that was the one where it really took off and the whole world was kind of like, look at this idiot. Why did he count for 40 (laughs) hours? And that just kind of got the name out there. And then people were like, after they watched that, they watched all my other videos and were like, oh, he like consistently does stupid things. But these stupid things take a lot of effort. That's impressive. But they're stupid. And they're like, what's going on here? And then eventually I realized you can do high effort things that aren't stupid and it's more impressive. <laughs> um, I think that's
0: like one of the things about the way you do content is so many people will be like, all right, I'll count to 10,000. Which yeah. like is still hard. Yeah. Right. But you count to a hundred thousand, which like you can click through it and you're just
1: it's so brutal. Yeah. I like, can do it right now if you want me to. No, nah, I think we're good. I <laughs> I can show you.
0: <laughs> we'll rename it how to count to a hundred thousand will be yeah. the
1: podcast. But like how you could obviously you could count to a million. Like how where I would have. I mean, I, I actually ended up counting to two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand. And then my next step was a million, but then the channel started to do well. And I was like, okay, maybe there's a better use of my time. <laughs> well, so that's my question: is like, how do you think about
0: how far to push it?
1: Yeah. Like is is that something you actually calculate in your brain? Like, mm, I think this is enough. Uh, Well, weirdly enough, I enjoy pushing myself. So it's kind of just like, what do I think is the actual upper limit of what I can do? And then let's 2X it. When I did those endurance challenges, like counting to 100,000, watching a, like, a short little video for 10 hours straight, or like, walking a marathon in the world's largest shoes, I know that like at that halfway point, I'm going to regret doing it. I'm gonna be so <laughs> miserable, and I'm gonna be like, what the hell am I doing? And everything in my body's gonna tell me to quit. But I also know I'm a, my brain's logical and it's going to go, well, you just invested all this time. If you quit now, it's for nothing. And I like to get myself in those positions because I know I won't back out, even though I know I'm going to be miserable. It's it's like a weird trick. But like when I'm at 50,000 and I'm like, it's 20 hours in, I know I still have 20 more hours left and I'm like, I don't want to do this in my brain and everything wants to quit. But I know at the end of the day, it's going to go, but opportunity costs, you're already here, so you might as well keep going. And like that's such a good feeling that when I finally do finish, it feels so rewarding. Like, dang, we did that. You yeah.
0: Know? I also wanted to ask you. So um, you have this amazing feeling you finish it. Did you, when you finished counting to hundred thousand? Yeah. Did you think like I know this is gonna go big?
1: Uh, no, I definitely didn't. You didn't. I, no, and that's the thing. Like now, you know, when we upload a video that we spend a lot of money on, I usually have a pretty good feeling how it will do. Back then, I was just like praying. I was like, please, someone, like, watch these videos. Like, I just dropped out of college and I'm screwed. Like, I don't, I don't really. Let this have been worth it. Yeah.
0: Um, What was like going through your mind? What was that feeling when you put
1: it out there and you start seeing the views go? Yeah. I, oh, that's a hard one. I got to dig deep in my memory for that one. I mean, it was definitely pretty crazy I, honestly it was a little for that video in particular it was a little like a lot of people were calling me dumb so <laughs> it's a little like <laughs> oh do they mean that like in a funny way or like i'm dumb dumb um, but besides that is like it was. It almost didn't seem real because at that point there's so many years of, like pent up trying and failing and trying and failing and I, I had almost just accepted i'm just gonna try and fail forever you know what i mean it never the thought of actually hitting it was like such a fairy tale dream that i was like i don't know if this will happen. Uh, Cause I was like, I started when I making videos at 11 and I was probably like 19. So that's like eight years of just nonstop failing. Um, so yeah, it felt like it didn't feel real. It's like, oh, so this is, this is what's supposed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, now the treadmill starts where you're like, well, frick, like, am I, are people just not going to watch the next video? Am I going to be irrelevant? Am I, you know, it's just 15 minutes of fame, blah, blah, blah. And then you have all these like fears and stuff. What about, um, maybe there's a better one to ask about. Is,
0: the one that's probably the next big inflection point is giving away the $10,000 to a homeless yeah. person. Did you have expectations at that point? Or, or did that have that same feeling of like, I can't believe this is happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard because part of it too is, for that video in particular, I just couldn't fathom a brand was going to give me $10,000. Like at that time, that was just an... I mean, my mom probably made like thirty five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year. And I'm like, what? I'm going to get like a quarter of her salary for one video. It just... So it it I almost felt a little guilty making that much money, which is why like my first instinct was to give it away because I was like, this doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I didn't think that video would do well either. What
0: was it in your brain? Because you had to push for like hours before they would say yeah, yes exactly. to $10,000. Pacing right? around Pain my neighborhood. Like, yeah. So what, like What is in your brain that after an hour, you don't just go like, all right, I guess it's five thousand.
1: Yeah, I'm very stubborn. And once I put my mind towards something, it's like I'm just gonna make it happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, if he kept saying no, I probably would have just drove to his house and be like, "Come on, man, just make it." <laughs> He's talking about like when I got a my first brand deal was five grand. I was like, double it to ten thousand. I'll give it away. And the guy was like, "You won't give it away, or it's not worth it." And I was like, "Trust me." and you know a little bit bsing there because i didn't know it would do well but i was like i think it'll do well trust me my gut says it'll do well just double the money i it should get a million views which i think it ended up getting like 10 or 20 million so guy's probably super happy um and yeah those you're giving me so many memories to be honest so many like those were such different times like i had no idea of anything like i i'd studied so much but there's also like Back then a lot of variables were hidden. Like YouTube didn't share click-through rate on like whether people clicked your videos and a lot of other metrics weren't a thing. So even you couldn't even you didn't have all the variables at the time to tell why a video did good or bad. So a lot of it really was like hone your intuition for many years and then like just trust your gut. Kind of a slot machine at that point. It too. really was. And like I just played slots for like eight, nine years, and then eventually I just hit like, you know, oh, I get how the slot machine works. You pull it at this time every day, you know.
0: Yeah. Does the slot machine
1: effect wear off now that like nine times out of 10 that you pull it you get a jackpot well no now i'm on the other side where it's like i'm 14 15 years in and i put so much of my life into this and i've given up almost everything for this that it's almost like yeah i'm not as surprised because like this is all i've ever done you know what i mean it doesn't feel weird it just feels like yeah this to me this is how it should be you know what i mean yeah it's uh, yeah. like i didn't Have many friends growing up. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I mean, like so many times, like people I look up to, even when we were filming videos, would be like, Oh, come hang out. And I'd be like, Well, filming, or I can't do this or that, or I didn't go do Christmas with my mom or things like that. Like it was just basically Wait, was that a real thing? You missed Christmas one year? I'm a little less hardcore now. Well, (laughs) many years, but (laughs) back in the day, the mindset was, okay, if everyone takes Christmas Eve and Christmas off, they take Thanksgiving off. I gotta remember all the math I ran when I was younger. It was like they take fourth of July. It was like if people on average, even the most hardcore people, are gonna take these 10 days off. And I was like, if I work those 10 days every day for the next five years, that's an extra 50 days I'm gonna get on people. And I was, and so I was like relentless about not working holidays. I actually made it a point like, I just can't, like, it's for soft people, young, you know, younger me, like, I'm different now. Like, a day or two off won't hurt a year, but my mom hated it. She'd be like, please just just give us like two hours in the morning. I'm like, mom, that's two hours. I get ahead of other people. It was very toxic mindset. You were going hard on Christmas and Thanksgiving. Every day. Like, What was the point of taking a day off? That's incredible.
0: People who took over the world had great branding, whether that is Steve Jobs or Walt Disney or Alexander the Great. And these days, having a great brand means having a great presence on the internet, of course. And that's why this episode's sponsor is Tamba.digital. They create beautiful digital products from websites and web apps to mobile apps and everything in between. They helped me redo my website, and I think the results are just stunning. I love it. They have also done work for some of the best and most innovative websites in the world, places like examine.com, routines, Hampton, and more. So if you want to build something great on the internet, hit them up. Go to tamba.digital and let them know that I sent you. Again, that is tamba, T-A-M-B-A, dot .digital. Was there that moment where it just kind of clicked like, yeah, this is happening.
1: Yeah. The the hard part is like, it's really not, our rise is not the same as almost any other celebrity or superstar or anything. Like, it's a very gradual, exponential rise over many, many videos over a very long period. So, there really was never like a, a true off, a I mean. inflection point. Agreed. You, my like, chart literally just goes like this up and to the right slowly, and it just gets a little steeper as time goes on. And so, it's like, every single video was an inflection point every single video i was pushing the boundaries in some way i was spending the last dime in my bank account or i was just exerting the last brain cell i had left in my brain before i passed out over the course of a month to make the videos good as possible or whatever it was so to to be honest which is why i give the advice to new creators uh, the new creators make 100 videos improve something every time that's what i was doing i just every video i was trying to improve something new and just threw everything i had at it
0: yeah was there
1: a moment that you realized that you were famous? Like, was there a time you went out and you're like, yeah. oh. Well, you know, the interesting thing about that is, which is something I've, I've learned more recently, is there's definitely like levels to, to like fame or, you know, that no one really categorizes it. Because like, there's like, when I had like a, a million subscribers, I could go into Walmart and, you know, maybe one out of 10 times I go to Walmart, someone will take a photo, which that is great. It's very validating. Those are the best ones because you're like, oh, I made it. This is like real humans. It's not pixels on a screen. And then you get hypothetically somewhere around 10 million subscribers. And every time you go to Walmart, at least one person is going to notice you. And that's still like where it's fun because it's like you go there and like, yeah, you know you're going to take a photo. If you're with a friend, it's like, look, like my work's validating. Uh, and like, and most people's heads, that's where it cuts off. And then that's where I was probably like, three or four years ago and you're like okay this is fine what what do these people complain about like fame's not that bad but then like there's a big difference between 10 million subscribers and 100 million subscribers and 100 millions where okay you're not taking one you're taking like seven eight nine someone's following you out to your car occasionally someone follows you home because it's like holy shit like where does he live and it's like it gets a lot crazier people randomly come to your house it's like it's it's not it feels like it's not 10 times crazier it's like 30 times crazier because it's not only do you have 10 times more fans but now a lot of people who aren't your fans also know you and you even have like i have this five minute rule. like if i take a photo with someone i usually have to leave that location in five minutes because they'll post on snapchat or instagram and then all their friends come and it gets like crazy and there's lines and yeah there's just a lot of people and it's even weird things like one time i was in a target i just stopped by to buy toothbrush real quick because whatever i uh it's a long story. I don't want to get into it. But I needed one. And it's just, I was like, this will take like three seconds. I kid you not. I walk in, someone asked for a photo, I took it, just go to the toothbrush out. And when I'm checking out, a kid just runs in the front door and he's like, it's real. And I was like, what? And he's like, there's a Discord that tracks your location. And I thought it was it was fake, but it said you were here. And I and I hadn't shown him yet. And like anytime I like someone tagged me in an Instagram photo or anything it would like load it up there and then people would use it to figure out where I'm at so they could like try to find me. And that was like that, that's stuff that doesn't happen when you have 10 million subscribers, but when you have a hundred million or whatever, you know, you just get bigger. You're like, oh, this is like a different league. Like, okay, now if someone wanted to kill me, there's a discord channel that tracks where I am at all times. Like this is just not the same. Yeah. And then now across everything, we probably have like four or 500 million followers and it just keeps going and it's like, oh, Yeah, like every year, progressively gets a little crazier and crazier. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you think you're at essentially the top level of fame, or do you think there's no? I mean, like Taylor Swift obviously is a different level than me, and whatever I experience, she probably is experiencing it like five times crazier. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely like, yeah, if you can find a way to be anonymous, you'll probably be a lot more happy. Personally, I just work all day, so it doesn't bother me as much. But if I was someone who actually did have a social life and did want to do things with my life besides work all day, I would probably be very sad. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. And yet you obviously you keep going despite some of the. Okay. Cause
1: I don't care. I, I have no problem <laughs> just sleeping in the studio and crying all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But for other people, that's a very sad reality. You know, that you, you know, blah, blah. So it's not fame that motivates you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's fun, but yeah, it's fun, but it's not, it doesn't seem like that's like your
0: primary. No. Yeah. At all. It's also not money because you reinvest all your money anyway. Yeah.
1: Is it winning? Yeah, you answered it. Yeah, exactly. You think it's winning? Yeah, 100%. I just like winning. I, anytime everyone, anyone has ever like pushed, pushed super hard, why do you do what you do? And I really dig deep. It's just, I think I'm just addicted to winning. I just like yeah. it. I like winning and, you know, some. but the thing is like winning can be different things. Like, you know, at an earlier stage in my life, winning was just making sure my mom was taken care of. Yeah. You know, in other parts, it was making sure my friends are taken care of. It's like, so there are different definitions to it. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's just like, Winning is fun, and I can't really tell you why I'll work 15 hours tomorrow if that's why I end up working tomorrow. It's just kind of like, I get up, and like if I don't, I just feel sad. And if I'm working, I feel great. You know what I mean? <laughs> Until it gets to the point where I'm stressed out and want to die. But for some reason, that's more fun than not working. You know what I mean? What, so you talked about getting stressed
0: out and wanting to die sometimes. Like for you, you obviously, you're obsessed. It feels like this pull that you want to
1: do it. Yeah. Are there times when you have to push yourself? Oh, all the time. Really? Literally all the time. Okay. Of course. But I I can't think of anyone who's super successful that didn't. You know what I mean? It's like overall, you have to enjoy what you do. But a good 40, 50% of the time, you're going to be, if you really want to be innovating and adapting, because like part of growing really fast is you just have to fail a ton. Now, if you're, okay, you know, if you don't want to innovate and adapt, then you're just not going to fail a bunch. And so that's how you can make things less stressful, but then you're not going to, you know, do as well in the long run. So I'm a big believer in like, we move fast, we fail a ton and we learn from the failures and just fix them. That creates a lot of problems, you know what I mean? And those problems are usually very stressful. But in the end, once you fix them and move on to the other side, obviously the company is much more successful because of it. Yeah. Um, And so you talk about failure. Is that really like
0: kind of what bums you out? Is that like what puts you in those places where you feel burned out? When a video, like you have to scrap a
1: video or? Uh, No, not really. It's just. Usually for me, it seems like eight or nine days of like going super hard in a row. I'm just like, (laughs) ah, I can't take this. This is like an energy thing. (laughs) Yeah, I need like some time off. Like, give me like a half a day or a day. Like, let me get my sanity back and then we'll go right back at it. So it's usually just like, it's a feeling. Like the the part that I think is hardest for me is like, you know, I can't outsource filming and for us to upload consistently, you can even see our upload schedule on that wall. See like every week uh, coming up, the yellow notepads, for uploading a video. You know, the average video takes six days for us to film. So if we're going to do weekly uploads. I got to be filming at least six out of seven days. And the other day, you know, festivals needs me, this needs me, that needs me. And so you get in this cycle where it's like, okay, like I need to spend a little bit of time with my girlfriend. It's like, well, I can't do that. And then I need to do this. Or, you know, occasionally there are things I want to do. Like I want to watch a show or whatever. And like five days go by and it's like, oh, still just grinding. Sorry. And then seven. And like, eventually you're just like, ah, oh, I feel like a little puppet. Like, you know, these things are kind of cool. I wish I could just like have time to do it. And then I'm like, screw it. And I'll spend half a day or whatever doing some of these things pent up that I wanted to do. And then I just go right back to it and just wait till that moment. If that makes sense. It's not yeah. a healthy way at all to do any of this. I've just found for me. Which is probably a bad thing, but just giving into my impulses and doing what they tell me to do has worked well. And when I try to have a regimented, structured lifestyle, it's just not fun. And like you have to have some level of enjoyment if you're gonna like grind every single day for crazy hours for 20 years straight, you know? Right. Well, and I do feel like because you're very open with kind of your
0: approach to storytelling and like how yeah. you view content, and yet no one can beat you. And I feel like it's because I go on
1: podcasts and tell people everything I know every single year. You see, yeah. So, do you think it's just that level of obsession is the only difference between? Oh boy, just dumping a giant can of worms. Well, a bit, there's a lot of things. So, step one is no one else is uh, there's a so for to if we're talking specifically about content, there's usually like three pillars. Like you have to understand really well what you know does well on YouTube. You have to understand how to build a business and like actually hire people and build a production team and you build these sets, whatever, even things like getting insurance if you're driving fast cars or whatever. I mean, a trillion little things. And then you also just have to be like a good personality, be good on camera, be entertaining. These are all three things that are very hard to master. And like a typical big YouTuber is like good at one of them. Like they understand YouTube well, they understand business well, or they're just phenomenal on camera. Not that I'm phenomenal on camera, but good enough for people watch it. But it's like, you know most people do like one of those pillars and like i feel like we're one of the few channels that has all three like we understand what the platform wants we understand what people want we have good content on camera that's entertaining doesn't necessarily always revolve around me but me and the boys collectively in the scenarios and environments we are is insanely funny and some of the best content you can find on youtube plus like the production everything's very high and so couple that with i don't care i'll reinvest everything you know i think this year we'll spend like $120 million on our videos, just on the YouTube videos. And like, no one else would do that. You know what I mean? They, like, if they were in my shoes, they'd be like, okay, we'll spend 20 million and pocket 100 million. And so that, in every step of the way, even when I used to make $200,000 a year off YouTube, I would just spend 201,000. I don't know where I got the thousand, but I figured it out <laughs> and, and put it in, you know? And so I, I would always reinvest the money. We had the three pillars that not many people have. And then we just have some of the best people in the world here. Like you know some of our top people obviously if they worked on any other youtube channel like they would probably 10x the views overnight so it's a combination of that which most of those people was just through the problem is this isn't like a super developed industry so i had to like find hyper intelligent people and just train them over four or five years and i'm finally on the other side where i'm reaping a lot of those rewards which is why we're able to upload more and do these bigger videos more consistently because before i had to be very involved and micromanage people and you know blah blah now Like the great people in my company are just like, Jimmy, get out the way. Like, you know, they can do it better than me. Like my top editors can edit better than me. Obviously they should, you know, top creatives, they can write better videos than me and they'll usually bring me in at the end and I get final say. So it's still my video, but you know, same thing with the producers and everything fully down because at the end of the day, they can spend a hundred hours a week on a certain job and I can only spend five, 10. So like in theory, they should be Even if I'm two times better due to the amount of time advantage they have, they should just absolutely steamroll me in anything, you know what I mean? And so it's really a game of like, you know, here's all the things that need to happen. And how do you get like the best person in the world in that position? And, you know, usually it's just finding hyper ambitious, great people in our industry because there's not, it's not super developed and then just investing years in them. And then at the tail end of it, they're just better than you at what you do. And, you know, it just is amazing. What's your approach to managing those people? Let them do what they want to do. You know
0: what I mean? Like usually. Well, you say that, but we were just talking to someone who's on your team. Yeah. And um, he didn't contradict that. But what he said was at this point, when you're with especially the high level team, yeah, he said, it's like you're talking to Jimmy clones. Like exactly you have gotten your brain into them so well. So like how is it that you do that? You say you get out of the way and let them do their thing and yet
1: Well, that's how after is it that you, after they become a clone. I mean, that's the thing like you know, what's funny, I actually talked to a lot of other people who have small businesses or other creators, and they're like, I'm writing this training manual, or we're making these training videos. And it's like, it, on paper, it makes sense. Like, okay, you bring new employees in, you have all this training material, but it's like, I could give you a 10-hour training video to watch and like a book on how to work in my company, you read and watch all of it you're still not going to know how to do anything. You know what I mean? The actual reality of it is you just need to work alongside the person day in and day out for a very, very long time. And eventually they'll start to see how your brain works and how you would respond in certain situations and how you act in the culture and blah, blah, blah. That's how you instill work ethic and company culture and that kind of stuff into someone and ideally you would do that to like 3 or 4 people and the beauty is if you do that over years they will become very very similar to you in every way and become exactly what you want because you mold them over time and then they create the next three versions you know each of them like one of our top people Tyler who I spent 4 years with just training and working with every single day almost you know now he has three we call them literally mini tylers who i just you know i just need more of him like he's phenomenal he is everything i've ever wanted in that role but the problem is he only has 24 hours in a day right. and I can't even have all those. You know, it sucks. He has to sleep. Um, <laughs> kidding. But, you know, so, you know, we I need more of them. And so we have three mini Tylers who are doing the same thing. They've been following him around every single day, observing every little thing he does for the last four or five months. And then probably starting next year, they'll be able to actually do some stuff without him and over time we'll wean them off him. And that's what you do, but we do that across everything. And it's beautiful because now it goes from like five people to 15 to like 25 and it's like, cool to like see it in action. And all these people are just very phenomenal. It reminds me,
0: I think it's the Navy SEALs that for a long time, I think they now have finally written things down, but they wouldn't write things down. Uh-huh. They had like no official processes written down. Yeah. It was just like, you come, you join the SEALs,
1: you spend time with
0: senior yeah. SEALs
1: and you learn how they do it. And 100%. then- 100%. Yeah. The most underrated practice in business is that. It's like, I've talked to so many people and it just, because in theory, having all this training bullshit does make sense. But in actuality, it's just not the same as just having great people work alongside new people to get them how you want. You know what I mean? Huh, interesting. Do you have like specific timelines? Like, is that
0: codified? If that Yeah, makes the sense? timeline
1: is when my great people say you're ready. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like, it just is what it is. Yeah. Like, after a year, if Tyler's like, yeah, this guy's not doing it, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, it's been a year of training. Throw him in the fire. Let him do it. It's like, okay, they weren't good enough. You know ready. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so that's your management style. That's your management technique. What about like when it comes to hiring? Like, do you find, I mean, on the one hand, yeah. Mr. Beast, people want to work with you. They want yeah. to get the experience. So you probably could uh, pay below market rates just because people want to. Yeah.
1: Or But does then it, you're not going to retain talent or not be as ambitious enough. There's no doubt in my mind. We pay way more than any other YouTube channel on the planet. I mean, some people... We'll be making like you know two thousand dollars a month, and then we'll hire them, and obviously they're making like eight or nine thousand, depending on how important the role is. Um, so no, I I do believe you should pay people well, and like obviously as they. I actually like if people in my company want to learn how to be more valuable so they can charge us more money, I'm down to invest in them. You know what I mean? If you want to get a class in college, although I wouldn't recommend it, I find a better <laughs> training method than that. But if you want me to, to spend money to help you get smarter so you can turn around and charge me more money, I don't care. As long as you're adding more value to the company, I'm all for it. You right, know what I mean? Right, right. Um, okay, I want to ask you. We
0: talked a little bit about your management style, your approach. I also want to ask you about like your routine. Mm-hmm. Do you have a routine like a daily well, routine
1: you know in four days i'm burying myself alive for a week right they told you what was that uh, that i'm bar- so i'm burying myself alive for a week starting in four days oh, well, how much how long did you bury yourself for last time? 50 hours and okay. people liked it so now we're going to do it for seven <laughs> days okay and one second to beat david blaine yeah oh nice <laughs> uh, so to answer your question on routine no because some months i spend 28 days filming and well you know one week you're not going to work it. out in your coffin well i'm going to work out yes but it's like you know it's The routine is hard. Like there are things I'll do throughout a day consistently, but not really a routine. It's, which is, uh, to be honest, it's kind of the hardest part of what we do or what I do is because, you know, one week I'm buried alive, the next week, even if it's fun, trying, driving fast cars all over the world, I still got to fly to California, then fly to Florida and then, oh, flying cars in Europe. Guess we got to go to Europe. And it's like, boom, all right. And that week I never even was home. And then it's like, you jump right into the next video and the next video, um, you know, if we're uploading like we are now, because that's six days of filming a week, and most videos aren't local. What you're saying
0: reminds me a lot, actually, of Napoleon, in that his secretary wrote about it and said he didn't have routines, because he couldn't, because who know yeah. what would happen, but he had processes. So, exactly. like, when this happened, when he's got to make a decision about this, these people come in the room, we get out this binder, like, whatever. Does yeah. that
1: sound right? Exactly. And I also feel like, for me, it also suits me better, because I— Again, I don't think this is optimal, but I I tend to be a little more impulse driven, and so I know these are the things I have to do today. But what order it's going to happen, God knows. Right, <laughs> right. I'm just I mean I I kind of like you know, and again, it might not be effective, and ideally with not people whose time is super valuable. But if it's like you know, I you no know, I have to do these five phone calls. Just tell them at any point Jimmy's going to call. Make it where it doesn't go to voicemail or ringer or whatever, and make sure you know they have it set where when I call it just goes through. And I prefer it to be like that. So in between meetings or blah, blah, Whenever I'm like, really, my brain is focused on that. Um, I can just get them done, as opposed to just being like, it has to be in this time, or this, because you just don't know. I might My brain might be in a different gear because I was working on a different project, and it's just kind of hard to just like gear switch on demand 30 times a day. Do you have
0: to worry about like, you get so obsessed, you get hooked into something. Mm-hmm. Do you worry about like, essentially having tunnel vision, and like missing some things, and then getting pulled
1: out of that? Uh, no, because I mean, (laughs) it works. Usually I obsess over YouTube for the most part. You get the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good. Um, what is like, what for you right now is the bottleneck? Like, is it just time? Like you basically got this thing figured out We're we're looking at your uh, counter downstairs and it's amazing because I think about the scale that I'm operating. And then we're looking at your
1: subscriber count. Yeah. It's like every five minutes, another, 10,000 or yeah, more. Yeah, it was pretty crazy right now because we just uploaded a short. So yeah, we're, we'll are we probably gain like 500,000 subscribers today.
0: That's insane. So when it comes to like the future and where you're going, is the bottom, like, do you think you have is everything the only, just time? You're the only
1: just, bottleneck in the entire company right now is me. It's my time because I can only film so many videos and like, yes, we could shrink the film windows down, but there are just certain things that are good content that it just takes time, right? Is and, the machine ever going to operate not without you, but without you as the face of the videos. Uh, to be honest, no, because I think like that's the beauty of it is like I think we're you know we're in the right now. Personal brands are just getting so freaking massive. I mean, look at Taylor Swift; she's going to do over a billion dollars in just concert tickets this year. I mean, and God knows what she's going to be doing five years from now. I think like if you were to, which I haven't done it, but my gut says if you were to figure out some way to like objectively rate like the influence of ind- individual people that aren't political figures like it is probably skyrocketing. Especially the last 10 years, it's probably gone a steep up incline. And so I think one of the most valuable things I can be is the face of the channel, is be the person that, you know, I think in the last 90 days, 600 million unique viewers. So like like probably 8% of the humans on the world have seen one of our videos just on YouTube. And so it's like, I I want it to be my face because I think that the dividends that I would pay over the rest of my lifetime would be enormous. That's why, that's so funny.
0: When you throw out numbers like that, I mean, it's like difficult to wrap your mind around. I think uh, someone was just telling us that you just got 2 billion views in Mm -hmm. a month for the first time. Like 2 billion views. It's pretty crazy.
1: (laughs) It's really crazy. A lot of which is like, you know, them watching on average for seven and a half minutes just staring at me talking. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, that's why when I asked like,
0: uh, is there another level of fame or are you at the top level? Like, it seems like you gotta be like pretty close to that top level of fame.
1: Well, a lot Uh, of people have... Uh yeah, it's like for people, the thing is there's also like how much they know. I'm finally getting to the point where a lot, a lot of people know who I am, but they don't know much about me. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, they could tell you a lot more about The Rock or Taylor Swift. The thing is, they've just been famous for so much longer. Like we really just started getting views five years ago, but we've been growing year over year so massively that where I'm at now, I've only been this year. You know what I mean? And same thing with next year, hopefully. So I think, yeah, most people know uh like yeah i know who mr beast is but if you push deeper majority of them will be like i don't know he's just like a youtuber he's a guy that gets a lot of views for the most part if you get outside of you know the obvious 100 plus million people that watch every video obviously they could tell you but for the most part most people right now they're just like oh it's mr beast i he's a youtuber you know yeah, what I mean? yeah and totally. so but i think obviously with time that will change it's just like the the it just takes a long time. You right. know, no no one that just goes like this on a graph is like known by everyone. It's someone who's just like this and then, you know, over very, very long periods. Yeah. It's wild.
0: I someone was saying the other day that you were 25. And I was like, that can't be right. Cause it 25. feels like you've been around. You yeah. know, you started this so young. I mean, to
1: be honest, I feel 40. I feel <laughs> it's like like those days when I'm buried alive, like one day will feel like 30 days. Like yeah. it really does. Like even when my birthday comes around, I'm like, I even like my last birthday, I was like, am I 27? And then I remember like, oh no, I'm 25. Yeah, yeah. Because it like that year felt like five years, right? you know. So I want to
0: ask a little bit about who you take inspiration from. Yeah. Um, so from like historical figures or other entrepreneurs, like who are the people that you really kind of aspire? Towards?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously a lot of people you cover in your podcast. This is how we became friends because I, I started listening to how, uh, how to Take Over the World. The thing is, you know, over the problem is no one does exactly what I do. And so obviously in the past, you have the obvious ones like Steve Jobs, although, you know, he's an asshole to people. And I, I didn't emulate that part. And, I you know, I think you can admire certain parts of people without admiring everything they do. For him, it's admiring his unrelenting drive to make the best product possible no matter what. Not admiring the part where he's just a dick. Because I yeah. think he could have achieved the same, if not more, if he wasn't a dick. Like I don't think that was crucial to his success. I think in general what I've found is like I just like I admire certain parts of a lot of people instead of just having one role model because there's not really one person I can go that's what I want to be. You know what I mean? What I'm kind of heading towards doesn't really exist if that makes sense. So it's just like a lot of random people. Anyone I find anytime I find someone interesting, I just study them and then I'll be like, "Oh, that's very inspiring." And I'll look up to like that trait or like the way their brain works if that makes any sense. Yeah. You are like Generation YouTube,
0: like you were raised in YouTube, right yeah. um and obviously, there were youtubers that you looked up to. do you like look for content inspiration in other places as well like are there filmmakers mm-hmm. that you watch their movies and you think mm, I could use something like that in
1: in my videos? back in the day no, not really anymore to be honest um I kind of just work with whatever's in my head, you know I just it sounds bad, but I mean, most YouTube videos, they're just nowhere near the even like same caliber what we do. So there's not really much inspiration to drop there. And I don't watch many movies, to be honest. Yeah. It's yeah. just work. I Honestly, relatively boring guy. I don't know where this well of creativity I can pull from is because I just work and I'm stressed all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. What um, like when it comes to this wall and everything yep. you got planned out, how many of those
1: ideas for those videos come directly out of your head versus mm-hmm. like your team? Well, all of them come out of my head, but it's like we just refine the process very efficiently. Where obviously I used to just, you know, flip through a dictionary, word random word generators. I mean, I've probably read countless books on how to like inspire yourself for creativity because I'm a big believer in like creativity is, you know, like if there was a plant in the middle of Asia that was purple, if you ate it, you grew three feet. That'd be phenomenal content. But like if you didn't know that it didn't exist, you couldn't, you know, use that for content. So I was like a big I mean, cringe things. I mean, back when I was a teenager, like an information diet. Like, I was a big, like, um, proponent of, like, you should always be learning about things all over the world in different areas and just random things constantly so you can pull from that for creativity and, like, you know, to make content. Especially if the goals, you know, if you know original content is going to do better, then one way to make original content is just to know a lot of random things you can pull from. So... Um, back in the day, it was, I was a lot of just jamming things in my brain, flipping through dec- dictionaries, learning words like random word generators, just like watching random content, like really trying to shove as much random knowledge in my head as possible and then doing an idea session and trying to pull from that. And that worked really well, but it's very inefficient. So I just like now I have other people that do that and they just go, here's a bunch of things we think will inspire you. And I'm like, those all suck. But, you know, this is cool (laughs) and this is what popped in my head. So it's like, instead of me spending 10 hours, like learning all these things so I can pull inspiration from, I just have them do it. They give me, you know, a hundred things and then it inspires me and two ideas come out of it. That is kind
0: of amazing to me that even this far into your business and it's big, you have what, 250 employees, something like Uh,
1: that? uh, Yeah. On the production side, somewhere between that and 300. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: And yet every idea for every video comes out of your head.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, even these new bloods I'm training, like I've been doing this for way longer. So (laughs) That's the one thing you literally can't find anyone better than you. Yeah. No one has spent this much time obsessed over creating content on YouTube longer than me. Like not even close. Yeah. 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 Looking towards the future, the podcast is called How to Take Over the World. Of course um which is why it's kind of funny we're doing this now because i if we did this in five years i think it would be much better it's like (laughs) did you ever read uh ashley vance's uh biography on elon musk the first one no okay well it's like he did a biography on elon musk like four or five years ago and like my takeaway from that was like yeah he just did this a little too early like i learned a lot but i was like yeah elon's like still in the middle of like disrupting the world like which is why this walter isaac one is great because it's like now a lot more has happened in the last four or five years and you can really start to see like his impact on the world does like this felt like a more appropriate time to do a biography on elon you know what i mean so apply that to yourself then you said we should do it in five years what
0: will be different in five years
1: yeah well the a lot probably i mean i don't know time time will tell what will happen with the channel i mean obviously the thing is views can't go up forever (laughs) eventually there's only so many people that use youtube you know what i mean um but right now, I also I just have to have laser-like focus. Like we just have to make the best best snack products possible and the best content possible. Because I think feastables is the number one play for us. Because um, a I want to make healthier food than what's out there. I mean, the m- snacks in America are just garbage for you, to be honest. Um, I mean, we all know that. And I want to figure out what I really want to do is figure out how we can make snacks that taste just as good while having slightly higher quality ingredients and ideally that's through just paying more for ingredients. Like the perfect scenario for me is like okay, our chocolate bar is better for you than this chocolate bar um and t- but and still tastes the same and we just paid a little bit more for ingredients because it's highly unlikely we're going to be able to make a chocolate bar cheaper than what's out there especially at our scale while you know making it healthier and taste better. Like that's just a pipe dream at this phase. So that's kind of where I'm aiming for and overall just to make people a little bit healthier. And then as we scale up, you know, really build all R&D and figure out, ultimately what I want to figure out is how do we make a lot of snacks Americans like just way better for them while maintaining the taste. Like that has, because obviously so much obesity and disease comes from the stuff we eat. And like, that seems like such a no-brainer thing. But most companies are just focused on the bottom line and like, okay, if we do 5 billion in revenue, we need to make 2 billion in profits. So like that ingredient would be an extra half a cent per five bars, like no shot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I get what you're saying, which is, Okay, you don't know exactly what your impact exactly, will be not tell years. you where like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like this year we'll sell 100 million bars, but hopefully like, two or three years from now we're selling like billions of bars. But and, the like, big line is going up. Exactly. So you know it's going to be. So, and like, I can't tell you, because like, you know, for all I know I could spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in R&D and I never figure out how to make a Better For You bar that tastes just as good. Because the, the crux is for, especially in snacks, like taste is king. Like they don't, you know, it's actually funny talking to a bunch of other companies that are doing Better For You food the more prominent you make that the food is better for you, the worse your sales are. Mm. Even in better for you aisles. Like and they'll like they'll have like an H1, H2, H3 and like the H2 will be like, "Oh, this is has less sugar." And they'll make that the H3, essentially making it smaller and sales will go up mm. even in the better for you aisle. And so it's like People don't, they just don't care. Like, or at least they don't care more than they care about the taste. 99% of people, even health conscious people, even like crazy bodybuilders after a big show, they go and pig out. You know what I mean? Everyone, no matter how healthy you are, at some point you do snack. You know what I mean? And you're looking for tasty things. And so taste is king. And if you want to actually influence the diet, especially in America, it has to be taste first, period. Like that's just something time and time again over the last century, people have shown they will just not compromise on, period. So it's like, I gotta figure out how to make these food with foods, snacks with higher quality ingredients that also taste just as good, if not better. And like ideally that's what I wanna focus on the next couple of years. And like I, you know, only time will tell what we solve because we're just in such the early stages. So um Going back to more of your old videos, yeah, you are going <laughs> to be a, random, a big jump. It's like talking about that no, theoreticals say, of snacks. All right, let's go back to a No, I was just
0: say you are <laughs> going to be Willy Wonka after all. Yeah, like as I act, ask about yeah, the next just, five years, what,
1: whatever I do, I just want to make sure I have a positive impact because obviously I don't want to leverage all this influence to make the world a worse place. It just sounds like a shitty thing to do with it. But yeah, I'm 25, and so it'll be interesting to tell. Like ideally, when I'm 30, you know, right now I would love to look back and go, yeah, the YouTube channel kept growing year over year. I used all that intention to funnel people into buying these snacks. These snacks have a little less calories, a little less sugar and way higher ingredients. And as thus, you know, I feel like I've made a meaningful impact so far on like the amount of disease people have and things like that through these snacks. Like right now, that's what I'm aiming towards, but you know, like. Do you have any kind of moonshot ideas in the back
0: of your head? You know, um, you talk about someone like Elon and in the short term, he's trying yeah. to make the environment better by getting more people in electric cars. Yeah. But he's also had this thing in the back of his head the entire time, which is, I to go to Mars. Yeah. Do you have like a go to Mars in the back of your head at all?
1: No, that's where I got to find what that thing is, um, to be honest. Because I'm kind of, if I were to compare to Elon, I'm still in like the Zip2 days, like super early on. And, you know, he wasn't even making electric cars back then. So, um, and then he sold Zip2, rolled the money into PayPal, sold PayPal, rolled the money. I mean, like, so I, I'm less, you know, Elon's more than two times older than me, which is like the cool part to see is like, you know, there's so much time left in my life. And so you know, especially if you if we keep killing it and compound growth, then things will get pretty crazy. Um, but no, I just have to have tunnel vision on what I'm doing and doing it well. Because obviously, if we could get it where, you know, we're selling over a billion chocolate bars one day, that'd be a very valuable company. And we could obviously use that to actually make real change. Or, or we end up selling it, and that's like my zip or PayPal, and then we roll the money into the next thing. Right, you know? right. Uh,
0: so so there's no,
1: in the back of your head, President Not right now, Donaldson. No. Is- it's just, I want to... You know, obviously I want to win, but I want to win in a way that's out, uh, net positive at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, first
0: of all, who was it that inspired you kind of on the way up? Like some of your early videos are like, did you know PewDiePie makes money yeah. doing YouTube? <laughs> yeah.
1: Who were those like two or three people that? And Well, the problem is, and I actually, it's weird because you wouldn't think I would say this, but it's like, I even when I first started, I always wondered why people didn't put more con- or like effort into their content, why people didn't spend more money, or why people didn't try harder. And so, I, again, like I said before with entrepreneurs, I like to take little nuggets here and there. There are things I liked about people like PewDiePie. He was the biggest creator in the world at that time for a very long time, but he was still very humble. And that was cool to see that this guy is just destroying everyone on all metrics, but is not like an asshole. Like he's being very humble and he's being very chill about it. And even when people would attack him, he could very easily be like, shut up. Like you have 1% of my subscribers, but he wouldn't, he would never like do stuff like that. So like, that was something I very admired about him. And there's traits like that in other creators. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I always, like, what I'm doing now, I always wondered back then, why were people not doing it? And so I never really had someone who I was like, that's who I want to be. I was always just confused. Like, what What are you doing? Why more people aren't? Why, why, why don't you just try? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why
0: don't you put effort in? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What about, like, um, in terms of, youtubers right now like that was one of the things that is interesting to me is you still watch youtube yeah. right like not do, as do much you, as i
1: used to but yeah i still do yeah. do
0: you do it as an obligation in order to because like you feel the need to keep up on youtube yeah. or is it just because you still love yeah YouTube? for
1: just for enjoyment it's definitely not to keep up um like what we do <laughs> like we don't like there are no trends on youtube we jump on or there's not like what other people are doing on the platform has very little impact on what we're doing. We just kind of are in our lane. I mean, as you can tell by the board up there, I already know every video I'm uploading between now and the end of the year. It's like, you know, I'm I'm doing what I think is phenomenal content that typically has a positive impact on people and is positive, you know, for little kids to watch and think, you know, just a good role model for them. And, you know, I'm more focused on what we're doing. And it's almost like Jeff says, you know what I mean? Like, just focus on making the consumers happy which obviously my viewers I wouldn't call them consumers but you know we're just I want to focus on what makes my c- viewers happy and I don't really care what competition is doing uh I just really I want everyone here relentlessly obsessed over how do we make a video as good as possible and make the viewers as good, happy as possible yeah like you All the time, we're like, I don't understand why
0: everyone isn't doing this. You kind of laid out those three things, right? Which is like, you understand what people want. You have a great team. What was the third one that I was missing?
1: Yeah, it's like algorithm team actually making entertaining videos. What is it that most people get wrong of those three? Probably, uh, (laughs) well all three but, <laughs> but yeah i mean it's kind of hard you just have to take it case by case like emma chamberlain have you seen her channel yeah like obviously she's phenomenal at the personality like in same the lies of caution there's other there's creators like that who are just hit the jackpot you know what i mean like they're not playing towards the algorithm they're not building big teams but they're a decent sized youtuber because they just have a phenomenal personality and that's where most people just hit it that you can think of when you think of a youtuber they just hit it really hard and really well in one of those three veins you know what i mean yeah um so what a lot of people get wrong to answer your question is the other two, you know? Yeah, I wonder, like, <laughs> talk about your constraints. Like, it's basically just
0: time. But if you, if someone, like, deposited tomorrow $200 billion in your bank account, yeah,
1: like, what would your videos start to look like? Oh, gosh. Um, well, we are definitely at the point where more money uh, does not equal more views. You know, it's actually interesting is, like, I can do a video titled, I gave a stranger a million dollars, and I can also do a video titled I gave a stranger $100,000 and it has no meaningful impact on the views mm-hmm. which is actually pretty interesting. I didn't used to think that, but like at past a certain point the average human is like large sum of money click. And like right. larger sum of money doesn't really impact the viewing experience. So I mean I would give it away and do stuff um but I don't think it would really change much. Like it, what people really want, which is what we're moving towards now more than ever is like they want compelling stories. They want to get attached to the characters they want to feel things that are intrinsic to a human, whether it be loved or wealth or power these things like there's a lot of like if you want to get hundred million views there are just certain things that every human feels and like applies to them all they're a little basic, but you know they want to feel those feelings um you know and watch a good story more than they want to see you just spend money right i um j- just a couple more
0: questions for you all good one is you know uh j- Julius Caesar. Alexander the Great was born, you know, whatever, 2,300 years ago. People yeah. still know who he is. Walt Disney was born uh, something like 100 years ago, a little more, mm-hmm. 120 years ago. And people will probably not know who he is 2,000 years from now. 2,000? Yeah, probably Yeah, 2,000 is yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. What do you think the over-under is on uh, when people remember
1: Jimmy Donaldson? Well, again, if you looked at, it's cringe to compare, but since we're talking about it, uh, if you looked at... Steve, my age, or Elon, or any of these great people. Which actually, I don't even know if you would argue they would be. I feel like Steve Jobs would be known in two thousand years as the one who ushered. I yeah, I guess who, uh, who knows. Would, that that if, is a tough okay, one. Okay, if, if Elon and Steve aren't going to be known, then I'm sure it's not to be known. <laughs> but I mean, assuming they are, then I would just say like I would bet on myself because it's just like where when they were my age, they were so much you know further behind. Not that it's a competition, but you know we're. Definitely way further ahead than they were. I mean, like, because like Zip, obviously, I think sold for like $20 million when Elon's like 27. You know what I mean? Again, not that it's a competition. It's a little cringe. But if it was, you'd be winning. Yeah, at the moment. (laughs) Yes. Again, not that it matters and not that that guarantees success. Like I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. But
0: Uh, last question is like, you said uh, competition motivates you
1: a lot. How does it feel to be second place now that T-Series passed you? Uh, does it does it hurt a little bit? Well, I mean, they never passed me. They were always ahead of me. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, uh, the thing is, the subscribers is kind of like a vet- vanity metric. It really has no impact on how many views you have, even though, just to be clear, we're going to pass them in a year, and in three years, we'll have double their stuff. <laughs> but But... Uh, It doesn't really matter besides vanity. Like, literally, it doesn't. Like, most of your viewers are because they open up YouTube and it's on the homepage, which, you know, the sub feed, like, whether or not they're subscribed has no implication on whether or not the video's there. So, it's like, that's one of those numbers where I just kind of stopped caring about. Even though I know I referenced it before, it's like, what really matters is, like, how many views per video do you get? And are people enjoying the videos? Because, like, you'd rather have you know, a hundred million people show up for every piece of content you make, then a billion subscribers and a million people show up. You know what I mean? The subscriber numbers are relevant, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Jimmy, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Is there anything that like you wish I had asked or like that you wish someone would ask you about that you never have a
1: chance to talk No. About? I mean, to be honest, I think uh, in those other interviews, I was just really bad at doing podcasts. Like I used to be way more nervous and like worried, oh, what if I slip up or blah, blah. blah when and you know it was only recently that i realized like well, oh, well people listen to podcasts about me because they just want to know more about me like and so like if i'm being like worried about all these things or not just truly just being open then it comes across weird or whatever so i've totally stopped caring when i do podcasts not in like a way of, like because i I don't care about you but in the sense of like i don't care what i say i just blurt what feels right and people like that because it feels more authentic and then i ultimately the podcast will do better. So my rebuttal is, I don't care. I I just do whatever feels natural and I think people resonate with that more. Perfect, well thanks again man, appreciate it. No problem, it was fun. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. So let's
0: break down the Mr. Beast playbook. My first big takeaway is to iterate quickly. You see this in the number of videos he put out at the beginning of his YouTube career. I think so many people get an idea and maybe it's even a good idea and they fixate on that one idea. And they try to make it work even after it's clear that it's not working. Or even if it is working, they limit themselves. And Mr. Beast came in with no preconceived notions about the channel and what it would be about. And that gave him the flexibility to try a ton of different things. And then step two is kind of obviously to double down on what works. So Mr. Beast found out that giving away $10,000 worked, but he didn't stop there. He doubled down. He figured out A million variations, giving away cars, islands, houses, giving away stuff for different games and contests. But I think a big key is that a lesser creator would have just said, okay, this is working, and then become the giving stuff away channel. But Mr. Beast didn't do that. Even as he was doubling down on the giveaways, he didn't abandon step one. He has kept experimenting this entire time. So experiment, double down on what works, and then keep experimenting. Of course, throughout this process, you should be able to learn what people like so that as time goes on, your experiments have a higher and higher hit rate. But even at the level that Mr. Beast is at right now, he has some experiments that don't work out. I think people don't realize how much Mr. Beast still experiments because he's willing to throw away a multimillion dollar video. There are entire shoots that he has done that take days of work, millions of dollars, the efforts of, of many, many people that just never see the light of day. This actually happens all the time. So some people might think he doesn't have any videos that don't work out anymore. But that's not correct. He's still trying stuff. It's just you never see it. Another big takeaway is to continually reinvest in better content. If you just take money off the table by spending it, of course you're going to lose to someone like Jimmy, who is willing to take all of his money and plow it into the next video. People can tell when you really care about your content and when you are going the extra mile and when you're not. So go that extra mile. Spend that extra hour. Spend that extra dollar to make your content better next level because as Jimmy has often pointed out, having 10% better content doesn't get you 10% more views, it gets you more than twice as many views because the algorithm wants to suggest the better video every time, even if it's just a little bit better. So it's worth it to spend that tiny bit of extra effort or money. One of my other big takeaways from spending time with Jimmy is intensity. His level of intense focus is genuinely unique. It's one of those things that I think you just have to experience to truly understand I got a glimpse of it when I played Settlers of Catan with him and a couple buddies. I mentioned that at the beginning of the interview, and he just destroyed us. And he is a really good board game player because anything he does, he does with absolute maximum focus and intensity. One of the stories that he shared that really hit that home is how he would work on holidays. And I'm not saying that you have to work on Christmas and Thanksgiving like he did in order to be successful like he is. But I do think that if you want to be focused on that level, you should ask yourself what you are willing to do that others won't do because that's real focus. And then the last thing is his team. Mr. Beast has been successful not just by what he himself is able to do, but by essentially replicating himself. When you tour his company, it's amazing how much his employees are able to anticipate his feedback and think just like him. My friend David Center likes to share this quote from the book Inside Steve Jobs Brain. It says, Apple is Steve Jobs with 10,000 lives. And that's the feeling you get with Mr. Beast's company as well. It's 200 Mr. Beasts running around and I love that method that he outlined for accomplishing that, that you just have people shadow the person they're supposed to be learning from until they get it. And one last thing I want to talk about is failure. In our interview, Mr. Beast mentioned that he went through years of failure before finally breaking through. I think he says eight years uh, what he considers failure and that is a lot of failure to endure. And oftentimes, the most successful person is the one who is totally committed, who is willing to just take rejection and failure longer than anyone else and keep persisting until they find success. It reminds me of the best-selling fantasy author in the world right now. His name is Brandon Sanderson, and he wrote 12 novels, full-length, hundreds of pages novels, before he ever got one published. And that is a lot to write. I mean, how do you keep writing after the first 10 novels don't get published? Most people would quit after one novel got rejected, maybe two, maybe three, but 12, and that's a truly unique individual. And if you want to succeed like Mr. Beast has, you have to be willing to fail like he did. And often that means failing longer than anyone else is willing to stick it out. So if you're in the middle of that failure right now, there's only one thing to do, and that is keep going. Thank you for tuning in to How to Take Over the World. And thank you and a big shout out to Mr. Beast for being a part of it and to his whole team, for helping to facilitate it. Special shout out to Steel Saldati. Subscribe to How to Take Over the World on YouTube or to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.
1: I'm going to show you how great I am.
0: This was our I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize.